Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Uh, thanks, Brian. This is a great topic, Revelation 13. It's a great chapter in our, just the fact that today is Independence Day, and uh, Revelation 13 is a reminder that this, uh, this freedom we enjoy is not guaranteed and uh, a time is coming when, uh, well, we'll lose it all again. Um, so bad news is coming today. <laughs> so um, if you've got uh, Revelation 13 on your phone or your Bible, please uh, turn up there. Um, we're going to be looking at the, the two beasts of uh, Revelation 13. Uh, the, uh, the deliberate mistake I referred to earlier uh, on, your fa- on the Facebook page of New Song Family Church Facebook page is there's only one beast on the Facebook page. There are, in fact, two. Okay, there are the beasts of Revelation 13. Um, last week, we looked at the, uh, God's uh, sort of disciplining of the, of the earth with the, uh, the seals and, and the trumpets and the bowls. And it was, if you've read through those chapters, you, you'll know it's not easy reading. But, but last week, we, we took some comfort from the fact that uh, th- these were God's punishments or God's disciplining uh, for a purpose, to get his people to wake up uh, and, and respond. Uh, so although they were difficult things happening and horrible things happening, um, it, was, it was God's planning and God's purpose. So today, it's, a little, it's not quite so good news. There is, there is chaos. The, the beasts are coming. And they are causing similar problems, um, but we're no longer looking at, uh, you know, God's plan and purpose as such. We're looking at, at God's permission. God permits Satan, uh, lets Satan off the leash a bit. Uh, and, 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 and what we're reading about today is, is what God allows Satan to do. Can you see a slightly different perspective on things? Uh, so uh, Revelation 13 is also not an easy read because we're reading about uh, sort of God letting Satan free a little bit uh, and, and seeing what happens with that. So um, have a look at Revelation uh, 13. Um, I don't know if we've got, have we got the whole thing. I'm not sure. Sorry, I didn't, didn't check. We'll, we'll do bits and pieces. That's fine. That's, that's fine. So uh, we'll look at it that way. Um, the first thing to say about these beasts is that they are not beasts. Okay, that's the trouble with figurative language in Revelation, apocalyptic literature. Um, it's not what it says. The, the beasts are people, probably men, probably not women, um, probably, probably two men are coming. Okay, um, yeah. Have a look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. This is how scripture uh, you, describes beasts. Okay, 2, 2 Peter Chapter 2, verse 12, uh, Peter writes, uh, These men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. It's quite clear that Peter's writing about people, uh, but, but he's calling them beasts. And in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist writes, I was like a brute beast before you, Lord. Um, and, and we are beasts and people are beasts when they willingly disobey God. You know, you think of, a, think of an, an unruly beast, uh, your boer bull or your rhino or, you know, some out of control animal that's just doing what it wants. 
And, and people are like that when we, we know what we should do, but we, we refuse to do it. We knowingly disobey God. Uh, we are becoming like uh, the brute beasts. So these, these beasts that we're going to read about in Revelation 13 are not animals. They are, they are people. Okay? They, are, they are leaders of the rebellion uh, against God. Uh, it sounds a bit weird as well because one is coming out of the sea, the first one. And the second one is coming out of the earth. Do we have the map, the wonderful map coming up? Yes, fantastic. That's really good. So, um, a brief geography lesson. Jerusalem's there in the middle uh, with the Mediterranean Sea to the west and everything else uh, off to the right. What empires have we got? We've got uh, is it Syria and all the other empires around. Yeah, that, 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 that's fine. So what's the meaning? What's the, what's the point of one beast coming out of the sea and one beast coming out of the earth? Is it like, have you seen the Abyss movie? You know, where the, the water monster comes up and gets into the ship and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an animal made out of the water. Or, or think of Narnia and the beasts, be, uh, when, when Aslan calls the beasts out of the ground and the, and the ground gets all lumpy and suddenly all the animals emerge out of the ground. Is, is that what it's talking about? Possibly, but I don't think so. What's the, what's the significance of the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth? Okay. So you can see Jerusalem there uh, and Judah on the, on the, on the, on the the western, sorry, eastern end of the Mediterranean. And you'll know from the Old Testament, the, the, the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God's people, uh, once they'd settled in the Promised Land, were the Philistines. And they are on the, the coastal cities, Ashdod, Gad, and all these, Ashkelon, these cities uh, on the coast. The, the Philistines were the enemies of God's people who came from the sea. They were called the Sea Peoples probably Phoenicians. Uh, we need to talk to our professor, a new professor about archaeology and, and all these ancient cultures. Check with him. Uh, the, the thinking is that the Philistines were Phoenicians. They were sea traders of the Mediterranean, and they got tired of the sea, uh, and they got seasick, and then they settled on, on the coast of Judah, uh, on these coastal cities, and they caused trouble. They were, they were from the sea, you see? The, the sea is, is, the, is the enemy of, of God's people. The, the, the people of Judah, they didn't like the ocean. They didn't like the sea. All the bad news came from there. Remember, uh, in, we'll see you next week and when you look at the new heaven and the new earth. There was no longer any sea. It doesn't mean we can't go to Swakop anymore. It means that there's, there's a, one of the source of God's enemies is gone. Okay? The trouble out of the sea and all those problems and enmity and hatred... Uh, it's not going to happen anymore in heaven because the, the sea is no longer going to bring be a source of those enemies. So uh, that's, that's the meaning of the beast from the sea, this ancient source of, of the enemy of God's people. What about the beast out of the earth? Now that's to the west, but look east. We've got these, this great landmass. Um, and uh, later on in Old Testament history, we get the other enemies of God's people, the, the, the empire of Assyria uh, in the north of Iraq today, centered on Nineveh, uh, followed by Babylon uh, further south. Babylon's further south down here. Uh, Baghdad is, is there today. And then finally Persia, uh, Iran today, further east. And again, the, the enemies of God came out of the earth, from the land. They came overland from the east. 
So when Revelation 13 is talking about the beast from the sea and the beast from the land, it's not a beast from the sea and a beast from the land. They, they are people, they are men, and, and, and the, the, the significance of the sea and the land is that these are the, the, the two directions from which all of the suffering came. Remember the dragon standing before the woman who was pregnant, you know, waiting to devour her child, and, and this... The sea and the land is, is, are the nations that Satan used to attack God's people to stop the Messiah coming. Okay, So that's what it means when it talks about the beast out of the sea and, and the beast from the land. These are the, the ancient sources of, of God's enemies. And like I said, Revelation 13 is, is Satan being let, let off the leash a little bit. So let's have a look at the beast out of the sea. Uh, Revelation 13 verse 1 begins with uh, this reminder, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. So it's just telling us whatever's coming, it's under the dragon's, it's now under the dragon's direction, Satan. Okay, so whatever, whatever happens next is Satan's thinking and Satan's planning. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. So we've got three animals here, uh, leopard, bear, and lion. Uh, if you want to look in Daniel chapter 7, I haven't given you a verse to look at here, but go home and have a look at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision of the empires that are going to come. Uh, we've mentioned them already, Assyria, Babylon, Persia. Uh, even the Roman Empire is there. And, and these empires uh, look like animals, okay? He sees a leopard and a bear and a lion, okay? So it's not surprising that uh, this, this beast, this, this, this man that is being sent from Satan, uh, looks like the, the, these, these enemies, these enemy nations that are prophesied in, in Daniel. It's the same kind of language. It's the same kind of picture. Uh, the lion, the bear, and the leopard are, are, are signs of God's enemies. So uh, the beast out of the sea is going to be an, an, excuse me, an enemy of God. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Uh, the dragon gave the beast his authority and his throne, uh, his power and his throne and great authority. Uh, <clears throat> And so uh, this beast is going to be empowered by Satan. It's not Satan. He's not Satan, but Satan is empowering him. <clears throat> uh, and it's, it's quite clear that uh, this, this first beast is going to be a political leader. Okay? Uh, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Uh, men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all those whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. 
If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. And this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So this beast from the sea, this, this man empowered by Satan will be, will be a political leader. Uh, people talk about a, a one world government and here is the president of the government of the entire world. Okay, He's a, he's a political leader. Uh, and, uh, and, and he's going to run the world against uh, God's uh, rules and, and freedom. I mean, it's, it's the complete opposite of what we're celebrating today, isn't it? Okay, uh, in, in Namibia. So uh, in Scripture, he's called the Antichrist. This one-world leader uh, is, is the Antichrist. And, and we, we're already familiar with the word anti. It means against. And so the Antichrist is against Christ. That's true. Uh, but there's another little truth going on here. In Roman times, in the Roman Empire, if you had twins, twin boys, twin girls, uh, the, the first one you would give them the name, and the second one you would call them Auntie, whatever the name was. So if Rico was born first, his little brother would be Auntie Rico. Okay? In other words, this one's Rico and this one's not Rico. Okay? So. Rico and anti-Rico. So it's, it's clear which one is which. So the thing is, they're twins, aren't they? Or if they're not, they're very close looking. So the, the anti-Rico looks very much like the real Rico. And it's the same with the Antichrist. The Antichrist is against Christ, but he looks awfully like Christ. And, and one of the ways in which he deceives the world is because people will think he is Christ. He is the Messiah. He will act as if he is. And a clue to that is verse 3, Revelation 13, verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Did you notice that as we read through quickly? <laughs> so the, the Antichrist will, will be like Christ. Christ died on the cross and was raised again. And, and the beast from the sea had a fatal wound which, from which he died, and he's risen again. And people say, that's Christ, that's Messiah. He's risen again. But he's not Christ, he's the anti-Christ. He's against Christ, but he's like Christ. He's, he's deceiving people because he's, he's making it out that he is Christ, he is the Messiah, and, and people will be deceived. We'll, we'll see that again when we look at, at the second uh, beast. Uh, another thing, just before we move on to the second beast, is, uh, is, is, is a reminder to us, like I said at the beginning, uh, this is Satan's chaos, okay? The, 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 the seals and the trumpets and the bowls uh, were, were God's discipline and God's plan and God's purposing, yes? Uh, and not chaos. But in Revelation 13, it is chaos. Okay? Satan is now causing chaos. And yet, the, the, the chaos that Satan is causing is under God's control. Do you get the idea? And there's a little clue in the language. Okay, verse 2 says, the dragon, Satan, gave the beast his power. Uh, and, and in grammatical terms, that's active. Okay, active. Satan is actively empowering the Antichrist. But then look at verse uh, 5. We're going to look at verse 5 and verse 7. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. Um, da -da -da and to exercise his authority. Verse 7, he was given power to make war against the saints, <clears throat> and he was given authority. So to say 
to, to go from saying the dragon gave him to saying the beast was given, okay, if, you know, if you're hot on your grammar, uh, that's the passive form, okay? So Satan actively empowers the beast, but the beast is also, was, is also given power, the passive form. And that implies that, that God is in control over this, okay? The, the power that this guy has is, is under God's permission. Uh, Satan's work and Satan's chaotic planning and Satan's chaotic uh, work on this earth is under God's control. And, and the passive form just reminds us of that, okay? So, you know, again, be a little bit comforted. This is chaos, but it's chaos under God's control. Um, Satan's work, yes, but it's Satan's work under God's control. And, and this is a reminder, go, go and read Job chapter 1 and chapter, chapter 2. You will, you will see Satan asking permission to attack Job. And, and God clearly sets the boundaries where Satan can work and, and, and attack Job. And Satan can go up to that boundary, but he cannot cross. And, and, and just read through Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. You see Satan wanting to cause chaos, and, and you also see God controlling the chaos, setting limits, setting boundaries. So, so Satan is, 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 is on a leash. He's on a long leash, but he's, he's on a leash. He cannot go further than God permits. Now, this is, this is a whole realm of, you know, the problem of evil and sin and rebellion and Satan and... We could have another month series. We're not going to do that. But, but you know, this chapter, chapter 13 and Job 1 and chapter 2, it is Satan's chaos, but be comforted that Satan's chaos is under God's control. Satan cannot overstep the boundaries uh, that God sets him. Happy with that? Happy with that? So a little bit more about the Antichrist. Uh, we don't just see him in John's writing. He's also there in Paul. Um, have a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit here. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Paul describes him, but he doesn't call him the Antichrist. He calls him the man of lawlessness. And <clears throat> here we go. Uh, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, <clears throat> excuse me, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, <clears throat> Sorry, uh, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. This was a problem in the church in Thessalonica. Uh, and Paul is trying to, uh, to um, stop the rumor. Uh, <clears throat> he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the beast from the sea, uh, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming, proclaiming himself to be God. You see, anti-Christ, against Christ but like Christ. Uh, setting himself up as Christ. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth 
and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Uh, the, <clears throat> the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And the way Paul writes about the man of wickedness here is almost exactly the same as John is writing about him in Revelation 13. Uh, it's the same guy. And, uh, and his, his destiny uh, will be the same. He'll be, he'll be running the one world government for a time, but uh, that will, will not be his fate. Something else to add. He is the capital A. The beast from the sea is the capital A antichrist. But the spirit of small a antichrist is already here and has already been active. Um, in a sense, the capital A Antichrist is coming, but people like him have been active throughout history. Uh, and so the, uh, the, the, the spirit of Antichrist, if you like, has fallen upon different people throughout history. Uh, even, even the 20th century, we can name a couple, can't we? Hitler and Stalin and, yeah people who've caused tremendous suffering. This is the, the spirit of Antichrist. And, and throughout people, throughout history, people have said, maybe this is the capital A Antichrist. And, 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 it, and it hasn't been. It's just been people with the spirit of Antichrist, in, in a sense, uh, ruling the world as the real Antichrist will do one day. Okay, they are pictures or shadows of the Antichrist who is to come. Um, have a look at 1 John chapter 4. Verse 3, 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 3, John writes, uh, Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Uh, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, capital A, and even now is already in the world. Okay? So, uh, yes, the Antichrist, capital A, is coming. Uh, but there have already been plenty of small-a antichrists who, who, in a sense, they, they, they work, they do the same job, they attempt the same things, the same kind of rule, the same kind of uh, rebellion against God, um, the same kind of, of wanting to be worshipped uh, as the antichrist uh, will uh, be worshipped. Uh, they, they are already here, they have already come. Uh, and, and one day the fulfillment of them all will actually come as well. Okay, we're not sure when, but, but the Antichrist uh, will come. But this is, the, this is our preemptive warning. Revelation chapter 13 is, is preparing us for, for what uh, will come. So the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, is not on his own. He has a sidekick, uh, and the beast from the earth uh, will, will help him. Uh, the beast from the earth is a religious leader, okay? He is uh, the false prophet, if you like, which you read about elsewhere in Revelation. Uh, so if you've got Revelation 13 with you, have a look from verse 11. Uh, John says, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth this time from the east. He had uh, two horns like a lamb, so a bit like Christ, but he spoke like a dragon. His words were from Satan. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, the political leader, on his behalf. 
and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. This is the Messiah, you see. He was killed, he was died, and now he's risen again. And so the, the, the false prophet is the religious leader. So you have polit political power and religious power working together. And, and who can stand against that? Okay? The, the, two, the two powers come together and work together and reinforce each other. Verse 13, he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Uh, because of the signs he was given power to do, was given, okay, the passive, was given uh, power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Uh, he, again, passive, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. So the two beasts are working uh, in cooperation with each other. Uh, the Antichrist, the beast from the sea, is the political power. And the false prophet, the beast from the earth, is the religious power. And, and here we have religious power in the service of political power. Yeah? Away. And, and, and if you know your history, you'll see that when, when these two things get together, it's almost irresistible. Um, and when you have a, a, a state religion and, and, a, and, a, and a state regime uh, working together, woof, it's, it's very hard to resist. Um, even states like the Soviet Union, which were, which were communist, atheistic communist states, uh, the the the, the one-party state, the worship of the party, in a sense, was was almost like a religion, yeah. Um, and and there are similar regimes around the world today. You know who they are. I don't need to say them here. <clears throat> there are there are states where the the one party in power is almost worshipped on a religious uh, basis. And and here you have political, you have religious power in the service of of political power, and it's almost impossible uh, to resist. So that's our, <clears throat> that's our 13th chapter. We've, we've got to deal with this chapter. These two people are coming, uh, and they are going to rule the world uh, in cooperation uh, for a time, uh, but, but it's quite clear, that, as we'll read later on, they are both going to end up in, in the, the lake of fire. Uh, they will be uh, defeated. But there will be a time in history that's coming uh, when this is how the world will be run, uh, the totally opposite of what we are celebrating today uh, in Namibia and in independence. So we've got these two topics to look to. This is the chapter, Revelation 13, but I want to look at some topics now. And the first one you've already seen is, is the 666, uh, is the mark of the beast. This is the, the idea of the false prophet. <clears throat> Let's... Let's mark, some, let's mark people as loyal. Okay, let's have a sign uh, that shows that they're on our side and not on God's side. Um, this has already happened. Uh, last week we talked about the, the, the Roman Empire 
uh, occasionally uh, demanding certificates of worship. So if you were living in the Roman Empire, uh, you had to worship the, the gods of the Roman Empire. You, you showed your loyalty to the empire by worshipping their gods. Uh, and from time to time, the emperor would say, okay, this week is an official worship week. Uh, you need to go and worship. And when you come out, you get, get the priest will give you a certificate, not a stamp, but a certificate of worship. Uh, keep it with you. And so that when the, the, the police come and check, you can show that you've worshipped and you've demonstrated your loyalty to the Roman Empire. This, this got worse because some Roman emperors, some of the Caesars, regarded themselves as gods as well. Okay? And so you were required to worship them as one of the Roman gods as well as the traditional Roman gods. So, of course, Christians in the Roman Empire are not going to do this. They're not going to worship the Roman gods and they're certainly not going to worship the Roman emperor as a god. And so they've got no certificate. And uh, when the empire wanted to persecute Christians, all they had to do was round up the people without the certificates. Uh, and, and that's how it worked. And, and, and in a sense, uh, the false prophet and, and, the, and the 666 and all this stuff is a reflection of what's already happened. This, stuff, this kind of stuff has been going on already. Um, Soviet Union, uh, your party card was your passport to everything. You know, uh, if you weren't a member of the party, woe betide you. Um, you know, and, and you know, so the, the, what, the, what, the, what this actually looks like varies throughout history. Um, but I think uh, we can say from Revelation 13, uh, unlike the seal of God, we talked last week about the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is an invisible one, okay? It seems likely that this, this mark is an actual physical one, okay? Uh, it's quite clear that the mark is linked to buying and selling, okay? Uh, verse 17, no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. Okay, so it can't be a, a spiritual sign. This, this 666 is going to be a, a real stamp. Okay, uh, something physical, something uh, visible. Uh, and your, your economic prosperity is going to depend on having this uh, with you. Um, I can think of um, one, one Muslim country, particularly in the world, where everything is available to you if you are a citizen of that country. Okay? Um, you, uh, all education is free up to degree level. I don't know about PhD, but you know, that's, at least somebody's done and worried about that. <laughs> well done, Goodman. Uh, you, can, you can even get your tertiary education free from the state. So primary, secondary, and tertiary. Maybe your first degree is free. Uh, you are guaranteed employment. Uh, all medical care is free. You just walk into the hospital when you're sick or the clinic. That's free. Um, you are even guaranteed a small apartment, a roof over your head. If you're a citizen of the country, uh, you will not be homeless because you will be allocated a flat or an apartment or a house to live in. Okay? The only requirement is that you are a citizen of the country. And the only thing you have to do to be a citizen of that country is to be a Muslim. So what happens if you're a citizen of that country and you become a Christian? You are going to lose free education, free health care, your guaranteed employment, and you're going to lose your guaranteed roof over your head. It's going to be very costly to become a Christian. That's not exactly the same as a 666 stamp on your hand, but it's very nearly, you see? You see how a political power works together with a religious power, 
to, to maintain control. And that, that is a regime currently going on in the world uh, today. And it's not, it's not one country like that, I can tell you. So uh, th this, if you like, the, the, this, the idea, the thinking behind 666 and the mark that enables you to trade and benefit from society, it's already in existence. We don't, <clears throat> we don't have to wait for the false prophet to come and stamp us, okay, or stamp them, not us, them. Uh, the, the idea is already here, okay? Uh, what's the meaning? Uh, John says to us, uh, this calls for wisdom, and, and we can uh, calculate the meaning of the number. Excuse me. <clears throat> so uh, what does it mean? <clears throat> We've talked uh, last week and the week before about numbers in Revelation and in apocalyptic literature. Um, God's number is seven. Okay, and God is three and one, and one is three. So if you want a, if you want a number to, to show God, <clears throat> uh, 777 will do fine. Okay, 777 is God's number. And, <clears throat> and, the, and the mark of the beast being 666 tells us something. It, it tells us that, that Satan is, is reaching out for God, trying to reach up for God, trying to, trying to take God's place, and yet, at the end of the day, falling short. He's not going to be able to do it, okay? There are two very interesting Old Testament chapters which tell us about this. So we'll have a quick look at these ones. Easy to remember uh, because of the numbers. So is Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. And 28 is just 14 times 2. So very easy to remember. Isaiah chapter 14. <clears throat> and we're going to have a look at uh, 12... Uh, to 15. Um, these are prophecies about earthly kings, but as, you, as we read together, you will see they are not just about earthly kings. They're about Satan himself. So uh, Isaiah 14, uh, verses 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Um, in the Hebrew, this is light bearer. And if you put Hebrew light bearer, the one who carries the light, uh, you can put that into Latin, it's Lucifer, okay, Lucifer, oh no, it's Greek actually, Lucifer uh, is, is the one who carries the light. Lucifer, if you like, was Satan's name before he fell, okay? O morning star, Lucifer, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Remember in Revelation 12, the dragon was cast out of heaven because he claimed he wanted to sit on the throne of God. Lucifer was the, was the top angel, the most powerful angel, but he wasn't satisfied that. He wanted to go one level next. He wanted to take God's place, take God's throne, and as a result, God threw him out of heaven. Uh, a couple of pages forward, Ezekiel 28, very similar words. Uh, Ezekiel 28, 11 to 19. Uh, the word, <coughs> excuse me, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says, you were the model of perfection. See, when, when God created him, 
uh, as, as the top angel, he was perfect. He was, he was brilliant. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl, a beautiful person. Uh, was it the angel? Satan appears as an angel of light. Uh, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. This is, this is God creating this angel. Uh, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked amongst the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. God can't create anything not perfect. <laughs> Until wickedness was found in you. Uh, let's finish. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By, by your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more." You see, Satan reaching up to claim God's throne and yet, not, of course, not being able to. How, how, can, how can a creature take away the throne from the creator, the one who made him? It's impossible. And so God threw him out. So 666 reminds us that even though Satan reached up and tried to claim God's throne, he fell short and, and was cast out of heaven. Now, you've already seen on the internet, uh, people have all kinds of theories as to what 666 is. You know, when credit cards and bank cards first came out, 666, why? Because a credit card helps you buy and sell. So that must be 666. So I'm not getting a credit card because that's the mark of, of, of Satan. What's the number on your credit card? 666. You see, it's proof. It's 666 card. You get the idea. So, so people, that's when bank cards came out. That was 666. Um, you know, masks come out. Can you buy and sell without wearing a mask in Vintook? No, masks must be 666. The vaccine, the vaccine must be 666. It's how Satan is controlling the world. You know, people love to come up with theories and ideas of, of what 666 is and, and all kinds of things. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it probably will be a mark. That, that you need to have somewhere about your person to, to buy and sell. There, there'll be an economic cost uh, to, to being a Christian uh, in, in those days. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think it's here yet. I, 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 think, I think people love to be conspiracy theories, theorists, yeah? They, they like to feel that they know something that you don't know. You know, ah, I'm not being taken. You poor guys, you suckers, you, you're all being hoodwinked, but I'm not taken in. You know, it gives them a sense of, you know, pride. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I know what's going on. You don't. Uh, we have friends who, even pastors, who are complaining about numbers in churches. This, this is government persecution. 50 people in New Song. You know, government persecution. It's not. It's government legislation trying to save us and help us. Yeah? <laughs> this isn't government persecution. <laughs> but pastors are saying this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, I mean, 
Today, we're celebrating independence in Namibia. If, if the government really wanted to persecute the church, we would know about it, wouldn't we? Yeah, come on. <laughs> when, when a government wants to persecute the church, there is no doubt about it. People aren't wondering, I wonder if they're persecuting us today. You won't be left, you won't be left wondering if the government really wants to persecute you. You know? I think some people, some Christians have, have a persecution complex. They're not just conspiracy theorists. They have a persecution Being persecuted makes them feel important. Yes, I'm being persecuted for the sake of Christ. You know, look at me, I'm a wonderful persecuted martyr, you know. Uh, you, you, you know, I'm being persecuted for the sake of Christ. No, you're not. You're just an obnoxious human being, you know. <laughs> so some, some people bring persecution on themselves. Have you noticed? Yeah. Yeah, sadly, sad but true. So that's 666. I, it, it is coming. Uh, but I don't think it's coronavirus vaccine. I don't think it's masks. I don't think it's credit cards. Um, but, but it will come, and it, it will be part of a package of, of government persecution of the church and government persecution of Christians. The two beasts, you know, we have a, the Antichrist leading a political, perhaps worldwide system, uh, and, and the, the false prophet supporting that system uh, with religious power and signs and wonders and miracles. This is going to be a regime which the world has not yet seen. And, and it's going to be fundamentally anti-Christian and against the church. And, and it's going to happen and it's going to come. And it's going to cause our second topic, the Great Tribulation. The, the, this, this state persecution of the church uh, will be something like the world has not seen. Uh, and, and the Bible calls it uh, the Great uh, tribulation. Let's come all the way back to Daniel uh, chapter 9. The, the fantastic thing is I think you're beginning to see uh, very little in Revelation has not already been found in Scripture. Um, and, and as Christians, we, we would find Revelation much less daunting if we knew our Old Testaments better because we would see all the links and all the familiarities. So uh, this great tribulation that's going to be uh, done in the time of, of the two beasts uh, it was already prophesied uh, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verses 24 to 27. Uh, this is Daniel's vision of the future. Seventy-sevens uh, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem... Until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be 70 sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So uh, Daniel was given a, a vision of future history, and it was, it was 
sort of put into 77s. And it, and it reminds us that history is, is his story. It's, history is under God's control. Okay? 77s. Recognize the number, everybody? Seven is God's number. So these 77s show us that history is under God's control. And, and he knows everything that's going to happen. And everything, everything is within the boundaries that he set. Even the activity of Satan is under God's control. Um, we won't talk about the abomination that causes desolation. That, that actually happened uh, uh, about 200 BC, uh, about 500 years after Daniel. Uh, one of the Greek nations came in, conquered Jerusalem, um, sacrificed pigs on the altar in the temple and covered the Torah with pig fat uh, and actually killed Jews. It, they made it illegal to be Jewish in Jerusalem, in Judea. Um, and that was the abomination that causes desolation. It, it's, it happened in 200 BC. And, and again, it's something that has happened that will reflect something that will happen. This is the kind of thing that will come. So the abomination that causes desolation is also a prophecy for the Great Tribulation. This kind of stuff will be going on, uh, but, but directed towards the church, directed towards Christians. This is coming. Religious persecution is part of the Great Tribulation. What I want you to see is in the last verse there is that the final seven is chopped in half. Okay, in the middle of the sevens, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Okay, so this is religious persecution. Okay, uh, no more right religion will be allowed to happen. Uh, in the middle of the seven, what's half seven? Anybody? Three and a half. Okay. Did you notice in Revelation 13 for how many months the Antichrist was going to be allowed to blaspheme? 42 months. Do the maths. 42 divided by 12 is? Three and a half. Okay. So the, the time given to the Antichrist to, to rule, if you like, is 42 months, is three and a half years. Okay. So this, this three and a half or 42 months, this is code for the Great Tribulation. This is when it's not going to be fun to be a Christian on the earth, okay? So we've, uh, it's also in other places, the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, these two witnesses, and remember um, when Jesus sent out uh, the, the witnesses, he sent them out two by two. Um, so two is a sign of evangelism and witness and testimony and outreach, Okay, so the two witnesses may be two evangelists, um, but they certainly represent uh, the, the church, Christians evangelizing the world as well. Okay, um, and it says here uh, that uh, the, the temple, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Okay, um, so it's the 42 months again. We looked at Revelation 35. Um, have a look at Revelation 11.3, the very next verse. Sorry, I'm going mad with it. Revelation 11 verse 3. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Okay? So imagine that the year is not 365. Imagine that a year is 360, plus minus. Okay? 
and just get your calculator out, and 1,260 divided by 360 is, thank goodness for that, three and a half. So again, 1,260 days is the same as 42 months, which is the same as three and a half years, which is half the final seven. Do you get the idea? All this stuff is going on in the time of the Great Tribulation. The church will be persecuted, but the church will be witnessing. They will prophesy. We'll be dressed in sackcloth, maybe because we won't have the mark to get into Fashini and get our nice clothes. So ladies, get your sackcloth fashions coming to you soon. Okay? <laughs> sackcloth is mourning. You got, you would, in the Old Testament, you wore sackcloth for mourning and, and for, for deep depression. It was a sign of great sorrow. Uh, and great mourning. And, and so we're, we are witnessing in this terrible time of great mourning and, and great sorrow. And over the page, uh, Revelation 12, verse 6. This is the, uh, the, the, the woman and the dragon that we saw last time. Uh, the child was snatched up to heaven, verse 5, and verse 6. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Okay, same time slot. Okay, so the Great Tribulation, this, this, the last seven split in half, uh, and, and this, the final half is the time of this Great Tribulation, great persecution, great suffering for the church. And yet, the promise, Revelation 12, verse 6, it's, it's also a time of God's protection. God will protect us during this time. And now, it's not to say that Christians won't be harmed physically or even killed and, you know, martyred. This, this, that's clear that that will happen. But, but this care of God, God will still care for us. He will care for our souls, even if our bodies die. <laughs> you know, our faith. You know, through, when, when you look at the persecution of the church throughout history, not just the Roman Empire, but throughout history, Soviet Union and, and even up to today, you see Christians holding on to their faith, even being willing to die for their faith. Yeah? And, and, and the church is preserved. And, and in places where the church is persecuted, the church actually grows. It's, it's, it's full of stronger Christians. You don't have nominal Christians when there is state persecution. The nominal Christians are staying at home. They don't want to risk their lives. And, and under persecution, the church tends to grow and thrive. God protects his church. Uh, one of the early church fathers, uh, Tertullian, uh, African theologian, Praise the Lord. Uh, he said, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When, when, when the state persecutes the church and, and kills Christians, the church grows. The seed is sown and the church pops up and the church is, is stronger uh, be, during these times. And so, so, yes, God will take care of his church during the great tribulation, even, though, even in the midst of all these terrible things. So, um, theologians argue, will it actually be uh, actual three and a half years? Will it be 42 months? Will it actually be 1,260 days? It might be. Um, but remember, we're talking apocryphal figurative literature. It might not be. It might not literally be 42 months or three and a half years. Uh, as I said, the significance of Daniel 77s is the number seven. It's, the significance of it is to remind us that history is under God's control. Even the great tribulation uh, at the end, before Christ comes back, is under God's control. And his people, his church, will be under his protection 
even during the Great Tribulation. So uh, whether it's actually going to be three and a half years or not, mm, uh, you know, it, it, in a sense, what it's telling us is, is God is still in control, even during this terrible time. That's the Great Tribulation. And, and the sign of it is the, th is the three and a half. Oh, there's another one. Uh, Daniel 7.25, we jumped that one. Time, times, and half a time. Have you seen that one as well? Time, one year. Times, plural, two years. And half a time, half. So uh, time, times, half a time is also three and a half years. One year plus two years is three, plus a half is three and a half years. So, yeah. Uh, Daniel 7.25 talks about time, times, and half a time. It's another way of talking about the Great Tribulation. Okay, our third topic, uh, the rapture. Uh, the, the argument, what will happen to the church uh, during this time? How will God protect us during the Great Tribulation? Okay, um, so have a look at Matthew 24, uh, and we'll read 36 to 41. Here is one possibility, Matthew 24, uh, 36 to 41. Uh, Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Oof, that's a nice way of writing about the flood. Uh, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and another left. So um, this, this is the doctrine of the rapture. Okay, um, Looking at Jesus' words, the Bible says, verse 40 and 41, uh, Jesus is saying, uh, one will be taken and one will be left. Where did he go? Uh, you know the Larry, Larry Norman song? Um, I wish you'd all been ready. Fantastic song. It's a song about the rapture and how people are just taking away. And, and the, the, the rapture is the doctrine. This is how God will take care of his church. This is how he will protect Christians during the great tribulation. The rapture will, will all be taken up to heaven. Okay? So the great tribulation will be going on on earth, but all, the Christ, all of us will be in heaven. God will protect us by taking us out of the great tribulation. Do you see? Uh, gave rise, the doctor gave rise to this, uh, the, the book, Tim LaHaye's book series, Left Behind, loads of books, have you seen, read, read them? There's even a movie series, uh, Nicolas Cage on the reboot, uh, Left Behind movie series. So it's, it's even entered, you know, modern culture. Um, okay. So it's, it's possible. That's one interpretation. I, I happen not to agree with that. Now, I'm, I'm trying not to give my own personal opinion. <laughs> I want you to read the Bible and make up your own mind. But, but one, the main reason why I don't like this doctrine is, is because you don't find it anywhere else in Scripture. Okay? If the doctrine of the rapture is built on only one passage of Scripture, and, and methodologically, you know, if you're going to interpret Scripture correctly, uh, if you build an entire doctrine on one passage of Scripture... It's, it's dodgy. You, you should let Scripture interpret and reinforce Scripture. It's interesting if this doctrine is true, being taken out of the great tribulation into heaven. If, if God, we, we, we don't, it would, it's interesting we don't find it anywhere else. Okay? 
So I don't like it from that point of view. That's the first reason why I don't like it. It's a doctrine built on one passage. The second reason is, the, the, how does God protect us in the rest of Scripture? When you read your Bibles, do you see Christians not being allowed to suffer? I don't see that. Suffering and, and being a child of God go hand in hand for, for all the way through Scripture. <laughs> and how does God protect us? God, the, the test, for me, the testimony of Scripture is, is God does not protect us from suffering. God protects us in our suffering. He allows us to suffer, but he still cares for us and protects us. You know, um, it's not... It's not, uh, Isaiah talks about, when, talks about when you pass through the fire, when you pass through the waters. Not if, but when, you see? Um, the prosperity preaching that we have around us is very popular. You know, become a, become a Christian and all your suffering will be at an end. And if, actually, if you're suffering, it's a sign that it sins in your life, you know? I hate it. Uh, I, I don't see God saving us from suffering by removing us from suffering. God, God saves us and protects us in our suffering. And that's actually what Revelation 12 verse 6 says. The woman was given a place in the desert where God would protect her in the 1260 days. She's, she's not, the desert's not in heaven, the, de the desert's on earth, <laughs> you see. She, she wasn't raptured to heaven. <laughs> she was kept safe during the great tribulation in the desert on, on this earth. So I don't believe that God is going to rapture us out of the great tribulation. Um, I, I don't like the fact that it's a doctrine built on one passage of scripture and I think it goes against the, the rest of the testimony of scripture about how God saves us in our suffering and protects us in our suffering. So what, so why did Jesus tell us then? <laughs> so why did Jesus tell us that two men will be afield and one will be taken and the other left? Why? Why did he say that? What's the point? How do we interpret those verses if, if that's not what it's going to be about? Well, I think the context helps us. He's telling us about the coming of the Son of Man. The coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. You know, Noah's building the ark, hammer, 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 and everybody's having a good laugh at Noah building a ship at the top of a mountain. Ha, stupid Noah, cracked again. They're getting on, marrying, being given in marriage, you know, watching the internet, watching telly, doing sports. They're doing everything that they are normally doing and having a good laugh. And Noah is providing the entertainment at the same time. This is great. We can have a good laugh at crazy Noah while we go about our normal business. And then the rain came down and the flood swept them all away. And Noah had the last laugh in the boat, waving, you know, everybody's sort of a bit like Titanic and Leonardo drowning. Sorry. But this is the, the picture of two men in a field or two women walking and one going. It's a picture of how surprising and how shocking it will come. It will be like the days of Noah. Everybody getting on with their life, having a good laugh at Noah until the flood came and they're all swept away. You know, in a sense, in Noah's day, those are the ones who were raptured. They were raptured downwards to the bottom of the ocean. Okay? They were taken away. They disappeared. Okay? And, and Noah was left. God's, God's, God's servant was preserved. Okay? And I think that's the point of the rapture. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's, he's emphasizing the, the surprising nature of his return and the speed of his return. 
It's as if you're going to the shop with your friend and boink, they've gone. Whoa, just like that, okay? So I think that's, that's how we are to interpret Matthew uh, 24. But let's close with our final passage. These uh, next few verses, 42, Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44. There we go. Let's close with these verses. So Jesus says, therefore, he's, he's telling us to do something based on the surprising nature of his, uh, of his second appearance. Okay. Nobody knows when it's coming. And so it's going to be a shock and a surprise. Therefore, he says in verse 42, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. Can you imagine? You know, your alarm going off and you're standing there with your watch. Yeah, Mr. Thief, you're right on time. Well done. So Jesus says, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's the point of the, the rapture doctrine. It's, it's, to, it's to remind us to be ready for the surprising appearance of, of Jesus coming back. If you, knew, if, we, if you knew that Jesus was coming back today, this morning, how would you feel? Oh, great. I've, I've been looking for that. Fantastic. Or would you go, oh, no, I've got, oh, man, I've just got my new car. <laughs> I just got married Saturday and the rapture and the, and the Greeks come back Sunday morning. Uh, you know, if, if Jesus came back today, are you, would you be happy or would you be disappointed? <laughs> I found this little quote from Wayne Grudem, a book called Systematic Theology. If you're interested in Christian theology, get this book by Wade Grudem. It's fantastic. He said this about Jesus' uh, surprising return. The degree to which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our own lives at the moment. I like that. Shall I say it again? The degree to which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our own lives at this moment. I love that. I love that. Are, are, we, re are we longing for that day? Are we ready for that day? My, my, one of my old former pastors used to say, if Jesus came back today, I'd say, oh, hi, Jesus, I was just looking for you. You know, yeah, cool. <laughs> the, the return of Christ should be the number one of our list of things that we, lo we long for. Everything else can be there, sure, but number one has to be the return of Christ. So keep watch and be ready. Lord God, help us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've been reading some very challenging and difficult things today, and we know the Antichrist is coming, we know that the false prophet is coming, we know that this great tribulation is coming, and yet, Lord, we also know that all of these events are under your control. You, you permit Satan to do his worst, and he can do no more than you permit him to do. Lord, and we, we know from our experience now that uh, you do permit us to suffer. You, you do permit us to go through uh, times of sickness and sorrow and mourning. And yet, Lord, all of us can testify your protection and your empowering uh, of us during those times. And so, Lord, even as we face the great tribulation, uh, we can face it with confidence. You brought us through everything so far, Lord, and you will bring us through that if if we are to be on earth uh, during those times.
But more than that, Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to stand watch, uh, ready and waiting for your return. Lord, we, we don't want to be shocked and surprised by your coming back. We want to be ready and waiting, uh, ready to receive you uh, at your return. So, Lord, help us to keep awake. Help us to keep alert. Help us to keep watch. And, Lord, help us to be ready. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.